I want you here this topic we did last week. Don't forget to remember. <laughs> Have you ever forgotten to remember something? Yeah, I, I, I uh, told you a little story about me uh, having the state police being called out because I forgot about a meeting I was supposed to be at to preach and uh, kind of avoided that guy for a few years. Um, I forgot. Uh, and there are days maybe that we need to remember. Uh, there are several days on my calendar that I just go back to uh, January or July 13th. Every year is a day I always try to remember. It mean, means something to me there. Uh, the first Monday... Uh, and uh, after uh, uh, Labor Day in September uh, is, I always remember that day. That was the day that I had resigned a church in Houston, 1984, and had gone to Asbury Seminary and wasn't sure uh, if I'd done the right thing. You know, I got four years of graduate school in front of me and, and uh, all those kind of things. And I remember uh, uh, sitting in that chapel, Estes Chapel, with my dad. My dad was still going to school. Uh, we went to school together. Uh, at one point, and uh, that was not a good thing. But, uh, yeah, he tried to steal my homework. And, uh, and uh, so, uh, but I remember sitting in Estes Chapel and those kind of concerns that I had, and uh, beautiful chapel, we'd been, been there before, and we began to sing a song, an old hymn that maybe you've heard or remember or, or don't. It's called Lead On, O King Eternal. And I remember singing it, and we're going through, Lead On, O King Eternal, the day of March has come you know, all those things. But there was one line in that song that, again, this first Monday after Labor Day, I remember it said, through days of preparation, thy grace has made us strong. And it's like the Spirit of God just kind of infused that into my soul to say, Cliff, I know you're worried. I know you're concerned. But through these days of preparation, my grace will make you strong. That, that's an important day. October 22nd. October 22nd for me is a really big day every year. Um, uh, and so do you, t tell me, you don't have to tell us what, tell us, what's the day? What? The 4th of November. What? That's the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, what, what's a special day? <laughs> I wasn't clear there. <laughs> I need to, yeah, what? <laughs> Thank you. That's a, Hey, I do wear a watch it as a date because I can't remember. What, just give us a, you don't have to tell us what it is unless you just are inclined to, but what, what's a day that you remember? You don't want to ever forget. What, what's the date? November yeah. The November the 11th. Okay. November, November 30th. What else? What? March what? March 1st. Okay. Huh? May 21st. Yeah. December 4th. Yeah. November, a lot of November's in here. Yeah, a lot of important days, November 7th. Yeah, can you think of a day you go, you know what? I don't ever want to forget that day. That, I don't want to forget to remember that day. Anybody else? 9-11. okay, September 11th, yeah, yeah. So, so the, we, we've all got those kind of things. And so I said to you, I'd like for you on your outline here and for us to think about that um, that we wanted to, to uh, don't forget to remember an important day. That's the first one there. We did that last week. I'm just going to kind of review here just for a second. Don't forget to remember an important day. Um, again, I'm not uh, uh, trying to say to people don't have fun on Halloween and stuff like that. We had some kids come by, you know, and, and after I got through snarling at them, then we gave them candy. No, I just want to put the candy out on the front yard, I told you, you know, and not have to go back and forth all night, you know. I'm grading papers, but... But it's okay, and we had some kids come by, and it was great. But remember that this date is a day that we remember that Luther had had this incredible experience of coming to an awareness, of coming to an awareness that the Bible taught that people were made right with God by faith. Romans, Romans 1.17, we'll look back at that again. But this day was a culmination of a long time for him in his own journey uh, as far as... Uh, coming to an un uncovering, if you will, understanding of the critical truth that we're made right with God by faith. It may surprise you, but in the Middle Ages, a lot of people didn't read the Bible. They studied uh, Aristotle in seminaries. They studied other things, but the Bible was not readily available. In fact, Luther was the first person to translate the Bible into German for the people to have something that they could read. And so this lack of understanding, of knowledge, of having the Bible readily available uh, becomes part of this whole process. Uh, I think I talked to Terry Chapman. We said, you know, Luther came at a wonderful time where Johannes Gutenberg had just invented Twitter. And, uh, <clears throat> well, the Twitter of his day, uh, uh, the, the printing press 
And then these materials began to be made available to people, uh, began to be made available. And so Luther begins this journey. And he made a couple of statements I'd just like to refer you to to just remind you of that important day. Uh, Luther, uh, when he uh, nailed these uh, 95 objections uh, that he wanted to discuss and have an academic uh, discussion about, uh, were that he was trying to, if you will, I wrote in this, he wanted to have a discussion about the matters as it related to the gospel. How is a person right with God? What does one have to do? Luther uh, summoned, was summoned on, on heresy charges and he refused to recant. He said this, my conscience is taken captive by the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. Luther believed the Bible was the authority for the Christian faith. Not the church, not anyone else, or, uh, and not that everyone else should be able to read it for themselves. I've given you a, a resource there on your handout, a great book by Luther, by Eric Metaxas. Um, and uh, this, um, uh, this uh, life that he lived and the changes that he made for us, if you will, to really astoundedly say that a person is made right with God by faith. So if you'll turn your Bibles there, just look here for a second. Look at Romans 1. This is what really began the whole process to make this day so important. Make this day so important. When Paul writes in Romans 1, 16 and 17, he studied the whole book, obviously, but this is what began his thinking process. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now notice there again, this is to everyone. I might also add that this is a fairly unusual Greek construction here in this one. Uh, the New Testament, when it speaks of everyone, or when it has the word you, you are the body of Christ. Those are always plural. Uh, we always translate them y'all, or certainly not youans. I have a couple of students from Ohio and they call it youans, and I say, no, we don't, we don't use that. But the you or the everyone often is plural. I just lost you on that. Yeah, that, that, that the you, you're, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the body of Christ. Those are plural. And speaking to a group, that this is this uh, collective understanding. And generally, often when it says everyone, it's this collective. This is one of those very unusual places where this is translated that it's the power of God to salvation to every single one. Very unusual in Greek to believe to the Jew first and the Greek, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is uncovered from faith to faith. The right being right with God or the righteousness of God, being right with Him, is from faith, means it finds its source in faith, and to faith, it finds its expression. It's expressed, the, being right with God expresses itself in faith. As written, the righteous man and person here shall live by faith. And so Luther recovers this understanding and begins to propound it and, 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 and suggest it as the center of the gospel. This day also was important because of some of the results of that or the consequences of that throughout the church. And so I think I just want to remind you that's a big day now. I want to get more specific here today in this idea of the importance or don't forget to remember an important truth. The truth, a central truth, an important truth, a central truth here that we have. What is it that, that uh, we're made right by faith? I, I was telling Becky yesterday, uh, just I'm trying to think this here of this idea of a central uh, truth. Uh, I was watching football yesterday and I remember telling Becky there's a certain team I cheer for. I didn't cheer hard. I didn't cheer much. I'm not saying. <clears throat> but they had forgotten a central truth. How to tackle. <laughs> it's a truth. I mean, I mean, you know, you, you can do all you want to in football, but if you don't learn how to tackle somebody, uh, this is going to be a problem. And I've read this uh, on uh, websites and like that, that what's happening is that young people who play football and want that, they want to do what they call blow somebody up, you know? Did that sound street enough for y'all? Yeah. It would just blow them up, and that means they're going to run and hit them as hard as they can, not wrap them up, 
and then bounce off of them and the guy keep running. There's a report on this in the NFL as well, if you will. The NFL that the 49ers are the worst tackling team in the NFL. They are 40, They have 43 missed tackles in every one of their games up to this past week. Kyle Shanahan keeps talking about it. It's pretty disappointing, he says. we got to get a better thing going here. I'm pretty unhappy at this point. Now, you know what? Uh, Luther didn't find a new truth. He found a central truth. He found an important truth. You know, you, you can go to church and you can have all these ideas about God and you can talk about being a better person, but there are some central truths here that Luther found that he discovered that so it's okay to know some of these other truths, but, but one of the central truths that changed his life. In fact, I wrote it this way. Luther did not invent something new. He simply helped others remember the central truth. Just like in football, the, one of the central truths is learn how to tackle. Go, go learn how to tackle or you're not going to be very well at this. Luther remembered the central truth that changed his life from fear of God to faith in God. I'm also amused at this, this central truth. Um, you may know as our church tradition that we uh, uh, come from a Wesleyan standpoint, background. That we don't worship John Wesley, we follow Jesus. But John Wesley is a person that we think is a reliable witness. And I've always been intrigued that John Wesley, who uh, in his 35th year of life, was also a trained pastor. He was an ordained minister in the Anglican Church in England. And he had... Uh, dedicated his life uh, to following God. He'd read a, read, read a book, if you're interested in it, by, uh, by a, a guy. <laughs> this is bad. I know the name of the book is called Holy Living and Holy Dying by... Still on Amazon. Anyway, I will come to you in a minute. Uh, Wesley had read that book, had written in his journal that he dedicated every aspect of his life to following Jesus. He gave everything that he had except that which was basic to life. Um, it, he lived on like 15 pounds all of his entire life and gave everything away. Studied or, or went into the jails and preached uh, in the jails and yet Wesley had not discovered this central truth that you're made right with God by faith. How, how is that possible? Wesley was an ordained Anglican preacher or pastor. He taught at Oxford. He could study all of the languages. He knew Greek and Latin and Hebrew. He understood German or read German. He's a pastor. He's a professor. He is thick, if you will, in the midst of, uh, of living and serving God, and it dedicated every aspect of his life. And yet, by his own admission, he said, I am not a Christian. What happened? On May the 24th, 1738, this man who had incredible gifts and abilities, here's the connection with him and Luther. On 1738, May the 24th, he was encouraged to go to a small group meeting on Fetters Lane, in England. He didn't want to go. He wrote in his journal. He didn't want to go. <clears throat> wasn't interested. But Charles <clears throat> had kind of uh, encouraged him. So he gets to Fetters Lane <clears throat> and <clears throat> he says, at that point, <clears throat> someone is reading the preface to Luther's work on Romans. And he makes this statement. <clears throat> and if you're from a, a Methodist background, this is kind of holy grail moment <laughs> when he said, my heart was strangely warmed, and I knew that Jesus Christ died for me. This guy's 36 years old. <clears throat> he is an Anglican priest. He's a professor at Oxford. He studied the Bible till he just knows it backwards and forth. And yet he had never still uncovered the central truth. This is what Luther did for us. <clears throat> he uncovers this central truth. So, May the 24th is one of those days when I remember every year when it comes around, I think on May the 24th, 1738, Wesley is here hearing Luther's preface to the book of Romans and his life has changed. So what is the central truth? Here we go. Let's don't forget. Number one. <clears throat> oh, that's in my backyard. <clears throat> here it is. 
Faith is what pleases God. This is nothing new, but it's a reminder for us of what is the central truth. We're going to look at several passages here. So if you go to your table of contents, find the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews here. We'll look here in my Bible, the book of Hebrews 11.48. And we'll go to chapter 11. Very familiar. But I just want to kind of look at this here for just a moment and remind you. Again, don't forget to remember. This this great passage here. We're going to come back to one here in a little bit, but I want to begin by just looking at Hebrews 11.6. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. And so Luther helped us uncover this important truth that faith is what pleases God. I, 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 I thought about this for some length of time when I thought one cannot be in a right relationship with God. That's what it means to be righteous or justified if we don't trust that one that we're in relationship with. Uh, I, I wrote this here. One cannot be in right relationship with anyone if there's not trust. We talked a little bit about this last week. Think about it. In your relationships with friends, can you have a relationship with someone if you think they're a liar? Can, can you have a relationship with someone if you continually say, I don't, I don't trust you, I don't, I don't believe you, I don't, I don't think you're telling me the truth? This, this idea of trust as the, the actual framework of any kind of relationship, when a person that you're a friend with tells you something and you say, I believe you or I trust you, faith is what pleases God. Now notice there's a strong word here. What does it say? It's impossible. It's impossible to please God. Without faith. Impossible is a strong word, and it's not very often used in the Bible, especially in relationship to God. But notice here, you can just jot these down if you want to. In Hebrews, this word shows up a couple times. In Hebrews 6.18, it suggests that it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible. So you know, students say to me, God can do anything. I say, no, that's not true. He can't do anything. He can't do anything. He can't deny himself, contradict his nature. It's impossible for him to lie. There are some things God can't do. Here's one of them, okay? So it's impossible for God to lie. In addition to that, in Hebrews 10, 4, it says it's impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sin. It's impossible. Can't be done. The Greek word here means to have no power or incapable of. I wrote this and I thought about this as this is Luther's helping us remember this. It's impossible to please God unless we trust him or believe him or rely on him. It doesn't say that in order to please God, you got to do everything perfectly. It doesn't say unless you uh, are, are completely correct in everything, you can't please God. No, it just says this. If we don't trust, if we don't believe, it's impossible. That's a relief to me. I don't know about you, but I tend to monitor my behavior kind of closely. Do you ever do that? Do you ever, do you ever think, well, I'm just not quite performing at this level, or I'm not, I'm not uh, making it in this way, or I could really use some improvement here? It doesn't say it's impossible to please God if you don't act right all the time. It doesn't say it's impossible to please God if you don't do everything perfectly. It doesn't say it's impossible to please God if you still have issues you're dealing with. It says this, it's impossible to please him if you don't trust him. It's impossible to please him if you don't trust him. <clears throat> so this idea of, of trust, of this idea of confidence, of reliance, is this matter. It's not just belief, it's trust in God. Now, <clears throat> we'd said something about that last week, and I think I have this on your outline finally. <clears throat> that faith and trust... <clears throat> is the currency of all relationships. Faith, did I put that on there again or not? Oh, I did it again. There it is. Faith and trust is the currency. Let's take this out of our relationship with God for a minute and just just talk about our relationships with our friends. What's the currency of those relationships? Faith, trust, confidence, not doubting them or thinking that they're inconsistent with us. So in the same way, if you will, 
that trust is the currency or is the means for relationship with God or with others, so is it with God. Does that mean you'll understand everything? That's a question. <laughs> Does that mean God will explain everything to you? No. I, I think sometimes one of the things we have to struggle with is we have to say, I may not understand everything here, but I have reason to trust you and to believe you. And that really is part of the crisis or difficulty for us sometimes to simply say, I'll trust you. I, I thought of this. Remember the Old Testament? What did Job say to God? Remember? Though you slay me, what? I'll trust you. Though you slay me, I'll trust you. I mean, this is, if you will, the currency of our relationship with God. To say to him, I don't understand you. I don't necessarily get you. I don't necessarily agree with you. <laughs> you had those kind of talks with him? <laughs> I don't sometimes understand you. But I have reason to believe that I can trust you. You can trust the man on the cross. You can trust the one who died for you. So our trust, our confidence in him is what pleases him. It's not that we perform perfectly all the time. It's that even in the midst of imperfect performance or imperfect action sometimes, we do it out of a sense of trust. We do it out of a sense of confidence in God that even if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out, that I still trust. I'm not saying this is easy. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying it's uh, something we can just, that's why I think we got to not forget to remember. What is it that pleases God? It's faith. It's right. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't, I don't know where, where you're going or what's happening. But I do know this, that God is pleased. And God is honored when we just say to him, I trust you. I don't completely understand this. If you bring me in as a consultant, I would change it. <laughs> we could go a different direction as far as I'm concerned. But I trust you. And I think all of us probably have to get to that point at some time or another. That the outcome, the result, we have to surrender. The, the, the kind of consequence that we are calling for, we want, we have to finally say, I'll give it to you. That's the kind of trust and I want to just show you here, just go back in your Bibles real quick. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, there's another passage here I want us to look at just quickly. It's Habakkuk. So don't try to flip around for this one. You won't find it. Okay? Habakkuk, 889. Habakkuk. Yeah, you'll, you'll be spending quite a bit of time there. In Habakkuk chapter 3, this profound statement. My judgment of trust. And I'm not saying it's fun, and I don't like it, and I would like happy talk all the time. But this is the experience of God's people. Look here in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food. What does that mean? That there's famine though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls yet I will exalt in the Lord I'll rejoice in the God of my salvation that's big boy faith that's grown-up trust and again I'm not I'm not asking for that I'm not saying that I think I told you this before that one of the reasons I struggle or you struggle said this, that the reason we worry and fear at times is because our great fear, our greatest fear, is that God is not really that good. That, that's where the problem is. We're, we're, not, we're not sure that he's that good. 
So I, I just want to ask you to think about this this week, something in terms of some kind of application. What if this week you consciously approach God and confess? I mean, I mean consciously, not just some kind of generalized, but consciously approach him and confess you believe him, what he's revealed about himself and about yourself. Pick some specific thing to confess about both. I had a student, the reason I want to relate this to you, I had a student this week, we were discussing some matters related to this, and, and uh, I think sometimes we go a little too far in this area where a person said that in trusting God, I believe we have to just come to the point that we th- say there's nothing good about me. And I said, that's not true. Uh, it is true that there's nothing you can do, you can't do enough to, to fix what's wrong. But that's not true. You, you and I have to confess what God has revealed about us, that each and every one of us are created in the image of God. And we have incredible value. The, 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 the issue for us is not worthiness. It keeps saying, well, you're not worthy. No, 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 that's not the issue. The issue is not earning. We've got worthy and earning goofed up. You know what I mean? We got this idea, we're just not worthy, we're just not worthy. Come on. That's not what the Scripture's teaching. You're worthy of the Son of God who died on the cross for you and rose again. Worthy's not the issue. It's earning that's the issue. That you and I can't do enough to earn it. But we've conflated those. And I just said to him, I, no, I, no, that's not true. You need to confess before God, that you're created in His image. You're a bearer of His image. Confess that about yourself and believe what God said about Himself and what He said about you. But we are so torn up because we've conflated worthy with earning and they're different things. Does that make sense? We, we carry with us this idea that we're not worthy. We're not, I'm saying, that, that's, come on. That Jesus wouldn't have died for us. And he wouldn't have given his life for us. What the Bible's trying to teach us is you can't earn this. You can't do enough to earn it. You're worthy of God's love. So confess that. Confess who you are. Confess who God made you to be. Confess who he is. And by that, say, I believe you. I trust you. I have confidence in you. That will please him. Second, let's look here. What Luther found was that faith doesn't work with a clicker here. Faith is object sensitive. I've talked a bit about this, but, but I just want to say this again. Faith is what pleases God, but it's also object sensitive. If you'll notice in the scriptures that the word in or through Jesus Christ are often associated with belief. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes what? In him. Whoever lasting life. Romans 3.22 says we're made righteous by God through faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. So look at John 3.16, Romans 3.22, Romans 3.24, Romans 3.26. And the idea here is that faith has an object. I would say it this way, that there is no power in faith unless the object is reliable. There's no power in faith if the object is unreliable. I had a buddy uh, some years ago, you, you, some of y'all remember this, he put a couple of million dollars in his retirement in one fund. Probably shouldn't have done that, uh, but he had complete trust in it. He put his faith and confidence. He put all that money in there, and then he saw on the news that Enron <laughs> was going bankrupt. Kevin had a lot of faith. What was the problem? The object. Yeah, is misplaced. The object. I just want to sensitize us to this idea here, what Luther would say to us and what is said in the gospel. It doesn't matter. Well, back up close. Don't say that. Jeremy Taylor, by the way, is the guy's name. <laughs> Boy, I knew it would come back at some point. <laughs> that thing went right through my head like a nail. 
Where was I? No, yeah. the, the notion of how much faith you have should be supplemented or substituted for what's the object. You have a boatload of faith in an inadequate object. It ain't going to make any difference at all. Faith is object sensitive. Where's your faith? Is it in the person of Jesus Christ? Or is it in your activities and behaviors? Is it in your efforts or work? This idea of having it to be in God, trusting in Him. Now, I know this isn't anything new, but I'm just saying, every year I think, i got to remember, don't forget to remember, Cliff, that faith is object sensitive. It matters, if you will, if I place it in the right way. I love what A.W. Tozer said about this, this kind of object sensitivity is this. Because what, I, what I've done, and maybe you've done it too, I've sort of kind of looked at my faith and say, do I have enough? Anybody done that? <clears throat> do I have enough? You know, if I got enough. And I'm looking where? To myself. <clears throat> I'm looking at me. I'm wondering, do I have enough faith? Do I, or, but I should be asking, what's the object of your faith, Cliff? What's the object? Look away. Gaze upon Jesus. Quit looking at yourself. And Tozer said it like this. Faith is like your eye. It sees everything but itself. Think about that. Can your eye see itself? Nope. Faith doesn't look at itself. It looks away to the object. Looking away <clears throat> to Jesus. <clears throat> so the object <clears throat> of my faith is what's critical. <clears throat> Yours too. Third thing. <clears throat> faith is expression specific. <clears throat> I'm using these words here. <clears throat> they help me think this through. <clears throat> faith is expression specific. Go back to Hebrews there if you would please. <clears throat> We're going to look <clears throat> here at Hebrews 11. This has something to do here with the object and as we move forward. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Um, faith is the, if you will, the, the idea is really the Greek, the Greek term here is the substance. Faith is the substance of what I hope for. And faith and hope both are object sensitive. Like, I hope I win the lottery. How, how likely is that? Not very. Why? I don't play the lottery first. <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> don't get me started. <clears throat> I was afraid of that. <clears throat> yeah, I was afraid of that. I'm not making no judgment here. Uh, <clears throat> that the, the, the reason that the hope here said it's, it's faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Hope is the same way. It relies on the object. In fact, the word, the uh, idea here that uh, faith is the hope or the assurance of things means the substance. It means the substance. What is hoped for is because it's relying on God. It's trusting in Him. Your hope is, is, is central or, or secure because of the object. And its expression is that I express that hope and faith only in God. This expression of it. It expresses its relief and, and reliance upon God. Faith is what pleases God. Faith is object sensitive and it expresses itself in reliance upon him. But I want to look here at one other thing <clears throat> as it relates to this. Uh, and I think I have this on here in this uh, area. In the Reformation, there were these five solas. It means only. Sola means only. Only grace. Only faith. Only Christ. Only God's glory. And only scripture. And <clears throat> some have suggested that there's an expression here of faith. There, there's an expression of faith that's missing. 
I want you to turn, if you will, go to your Bibles, go to Galatians real quick. <clears throat> Galatians, we're jumping around a lot today, I know. We'll get back to Psalms. Here in Galatians 11.08, I want to spend a little time here. Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Faith is expression specific. <clears throat> In, in, uh, Romans, or in Galatians chapter 5, it says these words. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you that, did I? We'll have to guess. No, <laughs> Verse 2, <clears throat> behold, verse 2, Ver behold, I, Paul, say to you that you receive circumcision. Christ has no benefit to you. He's, he's arguing, working with this, that it's not Christ plus something else. And I testify again, every man who receives circumcision, that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You've been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You've fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But what? Faith working through love. Let me just give you a little historical set on this, this expression. One of the things Roman Catholic scholars were concerned about with Luther and, and Calvin and Zwingli and all of them is they were afraid that faith would lose expression and simply become ideas that people thought. It would just be a, a list of ideas. And the Catholic Church, at a couple of places in Trent and others, made the observation to say, you're going to take this too far to where faith no longer expresses itself in love. Do you think that's happened at all? Are Christian people ever accused of believing all the right things but not living it out? Lord help us, right? I mean, you know, the idea that that, that belief is just something up here in my mind. That, that, I, that I believe certain ideas. I can give you the Apostles' Creed. But that that faith is not energized or activated through love. Wesley even went so far as to say this. He believed that the Reformers either went too far or not far enough. He made the observation that faith had to have within it this understanding that it expressed itself in love. Notice there it says, nothing matters but faith working through love. I think, West, I think the, the, the Catholic Church had something to, to say at that point. And that it got to the point that Luther even had to say this. Luther said, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves us is never alone. He had to make that clarification. We are saved by faith, are made right with God by faith alone. But the faith that makes us right is never alone. What does it have? An expression of love for others. So let me give you three expressions here real quick that uh, Luther and others would suggest. And I'll give you one final thing. First of all, faith has to have Notitia, N-O-T-I-A. This expression of faith has, you have to know something. You have to know something. Notitia is the Latin word for knowing. So, so faith has to have notitia, that you know something. I know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But is that faith? Not according to the Reformers. Second, faith has to have a census, A-S-S-E-S-S-U-S. A-S-S-E-S-S-U-S, -S 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 -S, a census. That means you agree with it. You ascend to it. You ascend, give your ascent. I, I know it, and I agree with it. And third, which no one would ever believe that faith was expressing itself if it's just, I know things, and I agree with them. The third one is fiducia, F-I-D-U-C-I-A. If you have fiduciary responsibilities for a company, you know what it means. You have a responsibility, financial responsibility. Fiducia means I now commit myself and reliance on what I believe. 
tell you a quick story. I may have told you this before. I'm 64, and I don't remember where I was last week. But uh, Marty and I are in the same room. I probably told you this, that years ago, I had a student, when we built this church in 99, uh, it cost $20 million, you know, it'd be three times that now. And I had a student who knew more than I did, and, um, or thought he did, and, um, and confronted me in class. And I don't mind people asking questions. I, you know, I don't care. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that sensitive. Uh, and, and said um, that he thought it was a sin that we built this church. And I thought, well, that's an interesting idea. So I said, would you explain that for me? And he said, well, he said, um, I think uh, you should have taken $20 million and given it to the poor. And I said, well, I, that's a possibility. I mean, I understand that. But I said, I, our, our thinking was that we built a church that would gather people together with resources that over time that, you know, we give about a million dollars a year to missions that over 30 or 40 years or 50 years, there'd be more money, you know. So he wasn't satisfied with that uh, for what I don't know. Well, I do know, but I'll not say. Uh, <laughs> he kept pressing me and, and pressing me because he said, I believe that we should be helping the poor. And it occurred to me to ask him a question. I try to remind him I'm in the 24th grade. Okay? You're in the 13th. I'm in the 24th. So I've thought of a couple of things here. So I said to him, you really seem passionate about this. That you believe that finances and money ought to be given to the poor and to, to help relieve them. I agree with you. Can I ask you one question? Sure. You know, he's feeling his oats now, you know, he's like, like the professor. I said, how much of your own discretionary income do you give to the poor every paycheck? He did this. I said, we're moving on. This is an intellectual argument with you. That's all it is. And you have no standing with me. Let's go. Next point. I thought, I'm going to coach him up here. See, that would be noticia and a census and no fiducia. That's not faith. Faith expresses itself. Faith works through love to where what I believe causes me to act as a follower of Jesus. So, so Wesley said this. There's something missing here. There's something missing in the Reformation. He called it sola sancta caritas. It means only holy love. Sola sancta caritas. That's missing. Think about that. The Reformation, we're thankful for it. It's great. But nothing about what? Love. None of the solas discuss the matter. This is what Trent, it's the Catholic conference. This is what Trent and others said. This is the danger if we don't make this right, that faith must express itself in love for others. Wesley said it this way, that faith is the handmaiden of love. The handmaiden. Handmaidens, you know, help deliver children and help take care of things. He said faith is the handmaiden of love. Notice if you're, if you're thinking about this, you just look over here at 1 Corinthians 13 real quick. And Paul makes this statement about this. Um, find it here. If I have the gift of prophecy, 13, too, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, not some, all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. Nothing. That's nothing. <laughs> not nothing. So, so this idea of its expression. So here, here's the question for us. Is our faith being expressed through love? I'll tell you a quick story happened to me this week. It's not a good one. Sometimes if I'm not careful, maybe you're like this, I can obey God like the older brother in the prodigal son. It's the right thing to do. I ought to do it. So I will. You ever done that? Not saying it's bad necessarily, 
But I got a good lesson this week. I was uh, going to work uh, the other day and uh, took a different route um, to, uh, to, to class. And on the way to class, I saw a student that w- needed some help. And uh, uh, when I saw them, I said, they need some help, uh, so I'll help them, um, which I was glad to. Um, but as I started helping this particular situation, and, uh, you know, wasn't anything, you know, nobody's going to die, um, I took a friend with me to help because we needed help. And uh, I'm trying to be careful here. And uh, uh, there was just some inner exchange between these two people that was a little harsh, you know. And it made me mad. I can get mad. And uh, it, it, it irritated me. And uh, so, I, you know, here they are like this, and it irritated me. I said, hey, stop it, you know, like, sort of like that. Because <laughs> yeah. we're on the side of the road, you know, so, you know, nobody's listening. Um, and uh, so I, I helped, but then because of that, I got irritated and upset. And uh, so, so we're helping. We're through, we get through and, and got everything finished. And the person wasn't very thankful, which I sort of expected. I'm a professor for crying out loud, you know. So I'm driving back and I had this little insight, I think, from the Spirit. Not a shameful thing at all. I thought, huh, I'm really not like you, am I, God? <laughs> I know that's a shock. Yeah, no, it's not. It's a shock that you would think that I would even think that's possible. I, I thought this, I thought. Um, I really get irritated at un- ungratefulness. It really bothers me when people aren't grateful. Does it bother you? It bother- bothers me. And I thought, here is Cliff doing something because he believes it's the right thing to do. But are you being motivated by love? That, that faith working through your love? Or are you just doing it because oh, it's the right thing to do? And I'm not saying that is a wrong way to operate generally. But what it, what it tested for me in that experience was, because there was some ungratefulness, what it tested in me was that my faith wasn't working through love. Now, it didn't make me feel bad. I didn't beat myself up. It caused me to stop and gaze on Jesus again and say, you are different than us. You are willing to give and love to incredibly ungrateful people. You're working through love to us for we're so ungrateful. We forget, you know, I'm thinking, I'm upset, I'm irritated because of this little bitty thing. And yet God gave his only son to ungrateful people who were spitting on him and hated him. And we were running from him. And he kept saying, I'm just going to work through love. Guess what I'm saying here is this. I think this is the Christian life. Is our faith. Working through love. Is our, is our faith causing us to operate? I, and I had a real good meeting with the Lord this week about this. So I'm not saying I'm a success at this. I'm saying it caused me. But it, it didn't make me feel bad. It made me feel in awe of God. That he does this all the time. To ungrateful people. Of which I have been one. So I want to ask you this. Is the expression of your faith and mine characterized by love? You know how my faith has been characterized at times? Being right. <laughs> you ever had that? I thought, I got the right answer. I know the right answer to this. I know where it's located in the scripture. That my faith sometimes has been characterized by being right. Or my faith has sometimes been characterized Keeping me out of trouble. Keeping me from getting, doing the wrong thing. My faith has been characterized at times as just thinking good thoughts. I think God is helping me to say, for old Cliff's life, Cliff, your faith must be working through love. So I ask you to think about this week. What does your faith and my faith 
calls us to do in love. What does your faith or my faith cause me to do in love? I think part of the problem in our country sometimes is that if we're not careful as Christians, it's just a general observation here. Our faith makes us want to argue with people because we're right. I'm not saying you can't be right. I'm not saying you can't talk. But is our faith characterized by love? That's a big question for me. I want to address the issue here in my own life that what I do by faith is working through love. I challenge you to do the same thing. This is one of Wesley's favorite verses. This is one of my life verses now. Nothing matters. Notice here, it's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. What matters is faith working through love. Final thought. Remember, this I think is associated, related to our church purpose. What is it? We walk by faith, so we will be known by love and a voice of hope. You know, maybe that's what we need to remember. That we walk by faith so we can express it through love and we'll become people of hope. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, thank you for Martin Luther. Thank you for Christians all throughout the centuries that have reminded us not to forget this essential matter about faith. It's easy to get past it. Maybe we think we've developed beyond this. Maybe we think we're ready for deeper stuff. But this is where we live the Christian life every day. Help us to please you as we just look to you and trust you. Help us to keep our faith the object of you clear in our hearts and minds. And may we find that our faith is generated and is working through love. We pray it in Jesus' strong name for your sake and your glory. Amen.